cast for Jean Jones, the Manhunter from Mars, his world, and the vile menagerie of villains he must confront. It's been a month, and the podcast is back for Martian Manhunter number two. Usually when one of the big companies wants to celebrate the major anniversary of a character, they start a year before the anniversary and stop roughly at the anniversary. I've been pretty distracted this year with other podcasting efforts, and I feel bad about not having given the Martian Manhunter more attention over the course of the lead up to his 60th anniversary. I'm going to try to put out more material in the coming year so we can celebrate from 60 forward instead of the lead up to and hopefully assuage my own guilt. Before we get to the Martian Manhunter, though, I want to do a little bit of a sales comparison. As you may recall, Martian Manhunter number one was the 69th best-selling comic book distributed by Diamond Distributors. It sold 36,581 copies. Martian Manhunter number two dropped to 103rd place, selling 24,957 copies through Diamond. That's a loss of 11,624 copies from one issue to the second. I've also noticed that there's been a sell-off on issue number ones at liquidation. I guess we can take that as a correction of estimations with regard to the book and its sales potential. Marsh Manor was pushed out of the top 100, muchly by Peripheral Secret Wars titles, Red Hood Arsenal, Descender, Southern Bastards, the debut of the Bob's Burgers comic adaptation. I would have to say this is not stellar company that he's keeping. But there's one specific title I want to do a comparison to since I talked up Cyborg last month. That book debuted with its number one issue at 37 on the top 100, sold 45,187 copies. So there's only a difference of 8,606 copies between Marshman Hunter's number one and Cyborg's number one. And Cyborg has a character who is a prominent member of the Justice League and is drawn by superstar artist Ivan Reese. I've also been hearing a lot of conflicting reports about DC's commitment to the DCU, YOU, initiative. I understand there's rumors of a $2 million shortfall for this year and that Dan Didio has been pushing to go back to what they called meat and potatoes superhero comics along the lines of what was being published as part of the New 52. But there just seems to be a general malaise with regard to fan interest in DC Comics, which I don't believe was helped by four years of the New 52. And I'm not sure how much of the blame falls on characters like Cyborg and Martian Manhunter or the creative teams and how much of it is just that people aren't as interested in reading DC Comics anymore. There's a pretty good article about about that on the Outhouser site that you might want to check out. I actually picked up Cyborg number one and read its Divergent preview. I would have to say that it's a better debut than Marsh Manhunter Zone. Writer David F. Walker makes a point of walking you through the basics of Cyborg's New 52 history. And he even goes to the trouble of recapping the online preview comic. And seeing as how I had just read that before reading this issue, it helps that he recontextualized it by having Cyborg narrate that sequence. You get into Cyborg's various relationships. You introduce a new villain that seems appropriate to the character and feels like a very imposing threat. We get a good introduction to Cyborg's supporting cast, his father Silas, his partner Dr. T.O. Morrow, Vic's longtime love interest Sarah Charles. Vic also has a new costume that I think looks really great. And I can't say enough good things about the art team of Ivan Reese, Joe Prado, and colorist Adriano Lucas. It's a great looking book. It's gorgeous. It reminded me of how much I enjoyed Ivan Reese before I found the Aquaman book to become a real drag to read because I did not enjoy the stories being told there. Setting that art team on a new story, on a different group of characters, it just reminded me how much I love that whole bunch. But we're not here to talk about Cyborg. We're here to talk about Marshman Hunter number two. The story is Weapon Part Two. Rob Williams, writer. Eddie Barrows, penciler. Idir Ferreira, inker. Gabe Altib, colorist. Tom Napolitano, letterer. And Andy Corey, editor. 
The book starts with John Jones hovering in low Earth orbit, briefly considering running away from the problem of a white Martian invasion, ultimately deciding that he needed to be brave and be a hero for humanity. From there, Martian Manhunter visits the NASA Research Building in Florida, where he asks Dr. Hella Dimoff about a transwarp engine she'd been working on that had so far been unsuccessful but did manage to annihilate 94% of any object placed in it. Jean expresses concern about this thing being used as a weapon and one that could fall into very wrong hands that are currently very active on Earth. They suddenly hear a boom of what's initially thought to be thunder, but is in fact a sonic boom created by Superman, who wanted to know how Marshman Hunter knew about the terrorist attacks. Because they used me to plan them. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., Mr. Biscuits and the gang of children that had adopted him were trying to catch a train. Mr. Biscuits' odd manner of walking and talking attracts some negative attention, and at one point he passively threatens to eat a less pleasant passenger. Mr. Biscuits isn't quite sure what a train is, but when he finds himself on the tracks with one coming right at him, Ah, Mr. Biscuits found it. Sheen shifts to Dubai, where the Pearl is jumping from building to building trying to evade a team of men in black who are secretly, or often not so secretly, shape-shifting white Martians. Pearl makes her way to the docks, but unfortunately the ship is well out to sea. Nowhere left to run. We knew it was you. An entertaining chase. We'll melt you to the others soon enough. Don't worry. Back in Florida, John Jones has no time for exposition. Helen, I am truly sorry for this violation, but I am now going to extract the knowledge of how to operate this machine from your mind. Then you will sleep peacefully. This will not harm you. You should feel no guilt. This was not your fault. Superman claps his hand on John's shoulder and tells him that he's not going to permit him to do this thing and tries to appeal to him as a fellow sole survivor of a dead planet. You're right. I am the last of my kind. John transforms into a giant, hulking, early image comics type of beast with weirdly disproportionate body and spiky things and purple armor and just looks completely ridiculous. He starts to punch Superman around, which attracts the attention of the rest of the Justice League, in this case being Flash, Wonder Woman, and Cyborg. If you knew you were going to throw down with the Martian Manhunter, you should have brought the whole league, guys. Wonder Woman, brandishing two sharp pointy objects, one for either hand, asks, Why have you turned yourself into an engine of war, John? I haven't. I've simply stopped trying to look like something I'm not. Also, I don't scare you. Come on then, Wonder Woman. Show me war. John appears to turn his hands into the big, spiky, wrecking ball things and starts tearing into the league. Of four. Scene shift to Dubai. John Jones, in a more recognizable and pleasant form, fills the Pearl's mind with pleasant lists that she certainly wasn't feeling before he arrived, and he also tells her to run. She does, even though she's certain it'll lead to her death. Instead, the explosive leap takes her a half mile out to sea where she lands on the ship that she had missed previously. This young sneak thief has never had experiences like this, and she's never left Dubai before. Meanwhile, in Florida, Cyborg shows off his new shapeshifter powers. He's basically the engineer from the Authority now, and he creates a big cannon on his back that he tries to blast Sean with to no effect. The Flash tries to punch him when he's in a giant form, looking very similar to Tom Mandrake's take, actually, in the way that he's drawn by Barrows in this particular panel. It has no seeming impact on Jean, though, who turns one of his arms into a giant buzzsaw, or so they're led to believe. Turn the page, and Superman, bleeding from his sucker punch from John Jones, is looking at a fairly composed Wonder Woman, Flash, and Cyborg standing, staring off into nothingness. 
their entire fight with the Martian Manhunter having been an illusion planted in their mind telepathically. Superman rushes back into the NASA building, but John is already in the defective teleporter. They gave me false memories, Cal. They made me think I had a family back there, a family who died. Can you imagine the cruelty of that? Like Krypton was just a dream. They made me believe I was the last Martian. And then I saw one of them on the moon, and suddenly I remembered everything. They're coming for me, and I can't let that happen for this world's sake. It was good to be a hero. Shedding a final tear, Marsh Manor goes all Doc Manhattan, blown to smithereens. Scene change, back to Washington, D.C., where Mr. Biscuits had stopped the train absentmindedly with one hand. That was brave of him, wasn't it? I certainly did not see that coming. Well, the cops are coming. And the kids decide that the heat's too hot. They split. The only one who stays with Mr. Biscuits is Alicia, the little black girl that was brave enough to first visit Biscuits in the debut issue. I think I'm confused and a bit scared. And I'm not sure if I'm good or not, but I would like to eat some biscuits. I can help you. Cookie police. Cookie police! Mr. Biscuits grabs a girl and starts running along the tracks. They have come to take our biscuits, Alicia. This world will break and fall to crumbs and make a right mess of raisins and oats. But I should also point out that every human being will die. That too. Unless we stop them. Stop who? The Martians, obviously. I have much greater expectations for a debut issue versus a second issue. Generally speaking, especially on a tightly plotted story, the second issue is nothing but advancing. Storylines begun in the first issue. I would have to say the second issue of Marsh Manhunter is a big improvement over the debut and a really nice surprise. We got more of Mr. Biscuits, who is amusing. We get more of Pearl in a much more kinetic setting than her just standing outside of a window watching horrible stuff happen. And Barrows draws that very well. It was, it was an exciting sequence. We get Marsh Manor fighting the Justice League, which I didn't need and I'd be more critical of, except that the liberties taken in that sequences can all be chalked up to a cue to the telepathy being employed. I don't really get off on John Jones beating up Justice Leaguers, but I'm glad that I have a bit of an out here where I don't have to feel like he was really abusing his friends, or at least his friends in a former continuity i really like pearl's design and i really hate the dcu redesigns of characters like superman and wonder woman so i'm glad that i'm enjoying the marshman and her specific characters more than the guest stars I just wish I didn't enjoy the characters surrounding the Manhunter more than the Manhunter himself. I wish I had a greater sense of Rob Williams wanting to write the guy that brought me to the table in the first place. It still feels like he's writing around the lead character. But again, it's a pretty good book. Definitely an uptick from the first issue. It certainly gives me hope. Your ego betrays you. Will you not listen to reason? This won't end well for you. We received retweets from Ange, Bob at RJ Holmes 123, Charlton Hero, Count Druncula. Danilo Santiago, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Ed Moore at Teal Productions, Ed Moore Jr. at Miskatonic, Inigo Montoya, Eternal Rage, Fantastiverse, Illegal Machine, Cord Industries, Luke Dobb, Martin Gray, The Odyssey Unleashed Podcast, Randy Caldwell, Randy Micah Smith, Sin, and Trekker Talk. We also received retweets from Between the Pages, Dr. G Nerdologist, Ed Moore at Indie Comics Fan, Ed Moore at Marvel Bronze Age, pretty popular with Ed Moore's, Flotospan, Guano Man, or not Guano Man as the case may be, Keith G. Baker, Mark Sweeney, and Ryan C. at Trash Film Guru, as well as favorites from Anthony Durso at The Toy Room, David Golding Artist, Eli at Eel Perrin, Firestorm Fan, J. 
Jacob Edwards, Jamie Carr, Longbox Graveyard, Oscar Olalde, Siskoid, Stephen Perry, and Too Dangerous for a Girl. Cord Industries listed us as a friend of Blue Beetle. More so than you know, I just recently picked up the Action Heroes archive that collects his Charlton appearances, and I'm planning on covering those sooner rather than later at the DC Bloodlines podcast. Firestorm fan wrote, Thanks to Frank for keeping me company on 5.30 a.m. drive to airport. Now I don't have to buy Martian Manhunter number one. Smiley face. Ange wrote on the episode Justice League Mortal 2007, Hurrah! Glad to see this podcast return. This possible movie sounds so much better than what is happening in the DCU cinema right now. I have to figure this stuff is resurfacing a bit now because of the new Mad Max film, which I haven't seen. Are movies advanced enough for John on screen? I suppose Gollum, Ultron, and even the shots of the thing in the next FF movie make me think we are closer. I would move away from prosthetics or masks completely. Lastly, I keep hoping that John will somehow make an appearance on the Supergirl show. Count Druncula wrote of the episode covering Marshman Hunter number one, it occurred to me while listening that I have no memory of any point in this story and i read the issue boy these 12 minute episodes are essentially edit no wonder frank makes his dc podcast so short well in chicago wrote hi frank i am sorry that i have been out of touch but i have been swamped with work and checking on a full-time teaching job there's a lot that i plan to catch up on here including the podcasts Tomorrow, I'm picking up Marshman Hunter number one. It seems that Rob Williams has a grasp of what John is about. My hope is that the series is a success and that we see John and other heroes of the DC Universe begin to understand each other. It is hard to keep hope after the boss jobs so far in the DC new, but I have learned to keep hope in this world even when logic would call it irrational. Perhaps this is one of the things that I like about the Marshman Hunter. Despite being alone and the odds being against him in so many ways, he never gives up. Ange wrote of Marshman Hunter number two, which we covered this episode, Hope you are reading Martian Manhunter. Interesting, visually striking, and diversity. Hashtag Frank's Agenda. Glad to hear your review and doing it a month after release for sales, etc. is an interesting approach. I don't know if I'm on board with this approach to the character. I'm not a big fan of the secret invasion concept as it isn't easy to play as a long haul, bring to a satisfactory conclusion. Also, being one of many Martians and now a weapon for the other Martians seems like a step backwards. I'm not off the book, but this might be one of those books that I reassess after three issues. As for Eddie Barrows, I also love his art, but the dude is slow. Can't make deadlines. I'll be waiting to see the fill-in pages in number three. Trust me. Dr. G sent me a link to a post on the Grand Comics database where they noted that 50 years ago that month, the Marshman Hunter challenges the Creature King in House of Mystery number 152, covered by Joe Serta. I took a screen cap of the page and sent it out over Twitter, which prompted me and Dr. G to go back and forth on I weigh against the Creature King specifically, but also Marshman Hunter as villains more generally. Dr. G wrote, I came to John post-crisis where he is this permanent Justice League member. I also feel that he is better when you play down his Superman duplicated powers. I knew little of his back history or villains. Creature King is such a great villain name. I have no idea what the original was like, though. John could use callback enemy, use a little to Shaggy Man visually, and has a power set like Black Bison. Still easily could take to a revamp. Martin Gray tweeted out a link to a comic book resource article tagging, Good Lord, did you see this? And it states that the Arrow TV show on the CW will add Ryan Robbins as a recurring villain. Quote, according to Variety, Robbins' Conklin will be a sadistic and ruthless member of Shadowspire. In the comics, Conklin appeared as a minor villain in a Martian Hunter backup tale in Detective Comics number 287. So it seems as though Arrow will reinvent the character who will debut in the third episode of the season. This is extremely strange, and I have no idea of why this happened. That character was in no way exceptional or important. He appeared in the story where John Jones's younger brother 
Palm Jones. Yeah, you heard that right. Visits him on Earth. I believe the name fellow's name was Biff Conklin. This is a guy who they describe as a minor Martian Manhunter villain. I hope you understand what that means in the grand scheme of things. This guy is nothing. This guy is a blip in the Martian Manhunter canon, much less greater DC Comics continuity. I don't know what the heck they're thinking with that. But if his usage alludes to an intention to do something with John Mazeltov, if they're already going to be dealing with a de-Nazi-ized Baron Blitzkrieg and an international syndicate, that would play pretty well to DC's usage of Martian Manhunter as part of Checkmate. And heck, you could even get Vulture in there if you really wanted to. So I could see how that would work. Also, they did the bit in the previous seasons of Flash and Arrow where they tried to play them out as a TV version of the world's finest duo, Superman, Batman. They did the same thing in the first Brave and the Bold team-up in the comics in the 1960s, issue 50, but in that instance, Superman's role was taken up by Martian Manhunter teaming up with Green Arrow. There's a precedent is what I'm saying. I'm still hoping the Martians are going to play into the Supergirl TV show on CBS, though. I recently redid my office, and I've got a series of bookshelves that I picked up cheap at Target. And as a result of that, I tend to put all my heavy trade paperbacks and, and other items lower on the shelves, which left large gaps at the tops of the shelves. So I decided to fill those by buying the two JLA and Avengers minimalist posters that you can find in a lot of department stores, cut them in half, and spread them over four shelves so that you have these bricks of solid colors. And what I like about the poster is that the Martian Manhunter is directly below Supergirl. Those are two of my favorite DC characters, so it makes me happy. Oofda! At Fryhole, yeah, sent an image that hashtag thought you would appreciate. It's a cover to La Ligue de Justice which I believe is a French comic book that was found in Half Price Books for $2, which I'd found it out of bought. Looks like it's published by Ariot de Mestril, and most of the characters' names are the same on the cover. It's uh, Justice League number 230, if I remember correctly. It's one of my favorite Marshman America covers of all time by Chuck Dixon and Dick Giordano. But the one hero that's renamed is Extinziman, and you can figure that one out for yourself, I figure. Keith G. Baker tweeted a link to an article saying, didn't know if you'd seen this yet, it's a bleeding cool titled The Martian Manor Will Join Any Superhero Team That Asks. Rich Johnston points to the Justice League, the Justice League of America, Justice League United, and Stormwatch, and then references his recent guest appearance in the Section 8 comic book. I think there's a lot of truth in this observation. It's one of the things I love about the character. John Jones is not too big for any given superhero team. He goes where he's needed, and he helps those that are trying to help others, and I think that's an admirable trait. Um, the day that Superman joins the Justice Experience, I might respect that character more than I do now. And I have picked up that Section 8 comic book. I'm looking forward to reading it. I will be covering it on the blog, most likely this month, in fact. Oscar Blue Devil Olalde tweeted a cute image relating to the Martian Manhunter, stating, me, share this because reasons. Rather than spoil the joke, just look on it uh, at the blog. Same goes for Kyle Bennings tweeting part of a cover image from the House of Mystery Run featuring Zook versus a fire monster. I actually got a lot of art sent through the Twitters this month, so all that'll be on the blog post. Ange wanted to let us know about his recent work at the Legion of Super Bloggers site, doing a Marshmallow review just in an unexpected place. Marshmallow makes an appearance in the 5YL year later. Legion, is he immortal? And I, I've read those stories. Uh, he looked pretty darn old there, but he also appeared in the 30th century in the John Ostrander, uh, Tom Mandrake Marshmallow series, and he was still looking to spry in that book. So I don't think John Jones is immortal, but he certainly seems to be long livid. 
Darcy wrote, Hi Frank, I thought you were going to say this series was the mirror image of Superman's. Instead of focusing on all the Earthlings' suspicions of Kal-El, this series would be what it's like to live amongst the world that suspects and maybe even fears you. Did I get that wrong? By the way, DC has determined that Gypsy is a pejorative, so I don't think you'll see that name appear anywhere. You might see Cindy Reynolds without her old code name, but my guess is not. Thanks. I need to go back and read the New 52 Vibe series, but the character Gypsy definitely appeared in that. I'm just not sure if she used the exact name. Kyle Binning wrote, Really enjoyed the episode and commentary, Frank. I actually really like the premise here for this story. I'm hoping this brings back and embraces the detective side of Jean as he pieces together clues to track down the mystery and solve the case. I enjoy the JL, JLU take on the Martian Manhunter and his feeling like an outcast. That had stemmed from him being the last Martian. Here they could achieve that same dynamic, but have it stem from people not trusting him due to other shape-shifting Martian actions. As a Superman fan, I hate that they are playing that public distrust card with Superman, so I'm hoping that if they go that direction with MM, they'll switch gears on Superman and move away from that dynamic to further differentiate between Manhunter and Superman. Probably wishful thinking on my part, but I'm interested in seeing where this first arc goes. I agree that it's just kind of stupid to play that angle with Superman. That opens up a whole argument, though, about how DC doesn't have faith in the Superman concept, how Marvel Comics has been doing the Captain America movies where they're staying true to that character, making him a pillar of moral certitude in a very gray and compromised world where that's the sort of role that Superman should be playing in the DC universe. And instead, they keep going to that Smallville route where he's so confused and nobody likes me. It's it's not Superman. It sucks. And unfortunately... That actually works a bit better with Martian Manhunter. It suits his character more. He is a much more morose type. And they've teased that out somewhat in this series. I'm not saying I want to go full bore in that direction because I would tend to get bored with that direction. But I admit that it works much better with the Martian Manhunter than it ever has with Superman. Siskoid writes... Another series that taps into anti-immigration feelings, no thanks. And I would counter Siskoid by pointing out that in this scenario, Martian Manhunter is the immigrant that who still has ties to his old world and culture, one that is somewhat defined by violence and its own xenophobia, where John struggles to integrate and to become a part of his new society despite their widespread distrust of him. I do welcome that particular angle, so... And writes on issue number three, paging Frank, Malifaak sighting or Malefic, depending on how you want to say it. There is a new version of Malefic in Marshman number three. I have read that. Uh, it's a pretty darn good book and it points toward a continuing upward trajectory for the title, but we'll cover that next time. And continues, Biscuit seems like a Studio Ghibli character, the anime studio. After two issues of Huh, Martian Manhunter finally grabbed me. Weird, wild stuff. Hope folks grab it. Trippy, strange, magic and science, a kaiju, but also a decent reveal of the arc. I want to hear your take. Martin Gray replied to that. Great issue, but where was the cover blurb? This is where it all comes together. And of the Martian Manhunter 60th anniversary of this month, is there an Oreo birthday cake? Doug Zwisha also said of issue number three, this one has been one of my DCU faves. Oscar Olalde wrote, where he is so boss, off panel, of course, that he is bouncing all over the place, moving the chess pieces. Stormwatch for the win. Kyle Branding wrote, is Martian Manhunter's ability to extract particles from water ever seen outside of his origin story? He's, of course, speaking of the time when Martian Manhunter pulled gold out of Earth and seas. I pointed out that he didn't really do any sort of, like, transformation or alchemical alteration. He, I think he was just pulling old pirate booty or something out of the water. And Kyle said, I would hope so. Otherwise, why isn't he devoting himself to distilling water for third world countries? Uh, Siskoid pointed out that extracting particles from water is called drinking. Podcast listeners should feel free to leave a comment on one of our blogs, either the Umbrella Rolled Spine Podcasts or the specific Idlehead of Diablo blog. 
Both are available quite easily through Google searches. You can also shoot me a tweet at Commander Blanks. That's B-L-A-N-X. Thank you for listening.